Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 68, take two. You're with Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And Emma Branham. Uh, welcome along, Emma. Nice to uh, nice to have you here on the on the podcast. It's good to see you again in such a short space of time. I know it's it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? We recorded the podcast here. Uh, well, actually, not here at an at, a, at an alternate studio location on uh, on Tuesday evening. There were some audio dramas, so we've reconvened to uh, to record again. And actually, this is take three because um, we actually had some a computer problem with the uh, the studio equipment. So um, I'm blaming Skip. It's all Skip's fault. Now, actually, we 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 owe a bit of uh, um, some gratitude to Skip because, as as everyone recalls, Skip's been looking after the audio on the NZ Tech podcast for the last year. Uh, he's hand, handed over those duties to uh, me, and I haven't done a very good job, but he's he's helped us out. We're back in this we're back in the studio, and it is starting to starting to go all right, thanks to uh, his bits of uh, genius help in the background. So, we're hoping if the studio computer. Um, is working well that this will yeah this will be a good episode now uh emma this is our uh, i guess this is the f- the first real time you've been on the podcast uh, other than the the takes that didn't work so tell us a little bit about um what you do at uh, at tv3 well i'm a general news reporter and i work um, mainly for the morning show first line which um people who get up at the crack of dawn in the morning might tune into. Um, and I also have an interest in tech news, um, particularly quirky tech news and things like robots and general inventions and innovations. So I try and um, do as many stories around that as I can. Cool. Now, share with us um, about the um, the story that we were, we were discussing earlier that w- was, on, uh, was on First Line uh, yesterday on Thursday. Well, nobody quite believed me when I told them about this, but... Um, Poo Wi-Fi is the only way I can describe it. In Mexico, um, they've got a system where they're trying to clean up the public park. So what they've done is they're encouraging dog owners to pick up after their precious pooches and put the dog poo into special containers (laughs) that they've put in these parks. And in return, um, they get free Wi-Fi. So they get a little voucher that they can uh, get Wi-Fi with. I think it. Well, I think it's for the park as a whole. So it's it's a real sort of community service. Oh wow! Mm. So if I take my elephant as I do for a walk in the park, I could potentially get a month's worth of free Wi-Fi. You could. And I don't know how they actually monitor what's going into this machine either. I mean, theoretically, you could just throw your child in there, maybe, and it would give <laughs> you um, more minutes. I don't know. If they're really naughty, it's mm. like I'm going to trade you for free Wi-Fi. You better behave. Excellent. Well, that sounds interesting. I wonder whether uh, whether we'll see any of the New Zealand councils doing something uh, something similar. Right now, um, we're going to talk about uh, Microsoft's Imagine Cup and uh, the New Zealand uh, round of that competition, uh, and we're going to dive in and chat with the winners of the uh, of the New Zealand final. So this is something that we recorded earlier on in the week. So we're just going to jump across to uh, to that now. So right now we're here with the, with the team uh, Mobile Eye who have uh, just finished competing in the finals of Microsoft's Imagine Cup contest. Now here we've got uh, Akash and Jade. Welcome along. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now uh, congratulations. Uh, you guys have uh, turned out on uh, on top after there were a lot of uh, New Zealand uh, students that entered uh, into the contest. Yeah. Thank you. You must be feeling pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. 
Yeah, no, congrats. Now, um, now what we know about the Madden Cup is the contest's been running for a few years, and uh, it's it's open to uh, to students. And I think there was something like three hundred and fifty thousand uh, entrants involved all around the world uh, this year. And uh, you've obviously been uh, entered here in New Zealand. Now, my Tell me whether I'm right. This is the way I see the contest. It's sort of a mix of a um, of a programming contest and a business startup contest. In some ways, a little bit like that Dragons Den uh, TV show. Um, is that what it was like for you guys? You had those sort of two elements to focus on: the business side and and uh, and doing some uh, software development. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so I think there is the software side and um, another side where. Is this a realistic product, or can it be used in the real life? That, that kind of business side to to it as well. So tell me about mobile eye. What what is mobile eye? Tell our listeners who have never heard of it before that weren't in the presentations. You break it down into a sort of a, a simple uh, one or two minute description. Okay, so mobile eye is basically a solution to help blind people discover more about their environment. So what we've realized is that. Blind people usually already have a systematic approach at home where they can find out what's where, but once they step out of it, it's a different scenario. And usually in that case, they would have a guide dog or a person, a friend or a family member or a caretaker to bring them through. So what we thought was what if we can help them by using their own mobile phone, snap a picture of their surrounding and listen to their phone describe it to them. So that's exactly what we have created. A mobile app where they can bring in their pocket anywhere, snap a picture, and they'll be able to hear a full context of what's before them. Right, and yeah, I remember seeing the demo of this the first time, and I was quite astounded as to how you could point that camera at, and there was, um, uh, I think, a pump water bottle and a couple of other things that were in the pictures, people in the background. Uh, and within you know maybe 15 seconds it came back and uh, you know and it read out and explained what was actually in that picture. Yeah. Uh, now that's that's pretty astounding. Now tell us tell us how you uh, how you how you achieved that. So we we took care of uh, many small things uh, which take place in between. So when you upload an image, uh, we scale it down so that the data transfer is smaller. Um, then it gets dispatched as fast as it can to the actual crowdsourcing or human crowdsourcing solution. So that's that's the trick. So instead of the technology sort of a you know some uh, fancy programming that figures out what's yeah. in the picture, yeah. you send it off to uh, to somebody else to have a look at who can interpret it uh, right. and give that human perspective on what's actually in the picture. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. So there are two parts to it. One is the artificial intelligence. Uh, where sometimes if, if it can be figured out by artificial intelligence, it will go there. If not, then it will go to human. Uh, so yeah, a hybrid architecture between artificial intelligence and human intelligence. Great. Oh, this is really smart stuff. I like it. Now, have you uh, have you tried this out with uh, with anybody in New Zealand? I mean, we've we've got you know. Um, yeah, the New Zealand Blind Institute. I think you've been working with. Is that right? Or the Blind Foundation? Yes, that's right. So since we started, we got our first prototype developed pretty early on, uh, with just very very good test. Take the photo, and then we'll tell you what it is. Uh, so that concept was proven very early at a, at a very early stage. 
Um, and then we worked with blind people whom we knew. So we got in touch with the AUT Disability Resource Service um, and then um, got in touch with the Foundation of the Blind and tried on real blind people and got their feedback of what is missing, what functionality is missing from uh, the application and what would they like and then kept on improving it and then uh, to the stage. Right. So what is it that you think was the was the key thing that uh, that helped you across the line to uh, you know to beat to beat the other teams? Because there was some pretty stiff you know competition, some some you know some really great ideas. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you guys have you know had one for New Zealand. You'll be off to the uh, the World uh, Championships in, in Sydney in July. What do you think was was that special something that uh, that you guys um, had? I think uh, basically it was because our software that we created was a really lightweight one. It didn't require a hardware in specific or a specially tailored kind of system where it will cost millions of dollars. So what we've done is to use mostly either artificial agents or volunteers or friends on Facebook and Skype and these existing resources, pull them together using technology and so that we've created a really light functioning uh, software that can be easily deployed, very affordable, and it could be used by millions of people as it is. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, um, Akash and uh, Jade, for coming on. And uh, yeah, congratulations to uh, to Team Mobile Eye. Uh, great result. Thank you. Thank you very much. We look. We will certainly look forward to uh, hearing how you go at the uh, at the World Finals. In Sydney, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Well, that was good to uh, to hear from uh, from Mobile Eye and uh, and catch up a little bit on how they went with the Microsoft Imagine Cup. Uh, now, next up, another uh, another local item. Uh, Nearfield Communications is a um, a technology that's been around for a little while, but we haven't seen much of in New Zealand. And there's been uh, been a couple of stories this week uh, from uh, Telecom and also from uh, from Two Degrees. In this area now, Nate, you're pretty well versed with uh, with NFC or near field communications. Can you just give us a little breakdown on what NFC is? Now yep. we know it. Um, uh, well, there's there's two ways it gets used, both on uh, on cards like an FPOS type card and in a mobile phone. So can you tell us how all that works? So NFC is different from any of the other sort of technologies such as RFID to start throwing around a whole lot of different acronyms. So NFC, um, the most probably popular one that we've seen here is Snapper, which is very similar to, say, Mickey that's in Melbourne, and I think it's an oyster possibly in Hong Kong, I think it is. Um, so NFC has uh, got an aerial on it and inside the card, and then when it passes to a reader, the reader provides it with power. It boots up in a really, really short amount of time, like 100 to 200 milliseconds, does its sort of processing, and then shuts down again. So with the Snapper card, you'll have a balance on it. So you'll go to get onto the bus, um, and it's, a, say, a, a $2 fare. When you tag on, the bus knows where you are, and then when you go to tag off, which is the most important part, it will then debit the exact amount of your trip. And if you forget to tag off or the, the tag off process doesn't work, um, the bus company will just debit you the, the amount of the full um, trip. So That's what happened to me when I went to Wellington. Yeah, so you've <laughs> got to remember to tag off. So there's no fines or anything, but you just get um, debited right to the end of the the process. So um, we're looking at phones coming out. So the LG phone, which was used in the two degrees um, uh, 
demonstration that's um, got an NFC and then with the announcement of the Samsung Galaxy S3 um, that's also got NFC so we're looking at moving really to a um, society where you don't need to carry around a wallet it will all be based on your phone which is you know really really good especially cutting down weight and, and, and that sort of thing so. it's interesting though the um, Apple is is not embracing the technology you can't get it on your iPhones can no, you? No I, I think um, and this is, wasn't my idea but a, a poster on Geekzone actually put they reckon that Apple probably won't won't put NFC on their platform until they can work out a, a reliable way to clip the ticket. And it's it's true to Apple's history and a very very clever um, business to you know everything that passes through your platform you clip the ticket. So if you develop an app, Apple takes um, I believe 30%. They also don't like apps where you try to circumvent their subscription model. So zero the online accounting um, package. I know they had issues trying to get their um, app. Um, uh, accepted because they obviously have their own subscription model and Apple didn't really like that. So yeah, I, I think you'll really see NFC take off when Apple include it in their platform, but whether they will clip the ticket or not, I don't know, but I think they'll probably be pretty clean too because there'll be a lot of money passing through that sort of uh, platform and they want a cut of it. Now obviously this technology is very early days over here in terms of its its usage and I love the idea that you know within another year or two we could just be getting rid of our wallets full of our credit cards and just carrying around our phones. But security-wise, I understand that you know some, some security experts say, oh, they can be open to a bit of fraud. Is that the case? Yeah, I think with every platform, you know, straight off the bat, people will find, you know, ways to compromise and that sort of thing. So the technology needs to mature. It needs to get out in the market for people to find these sort of vulnerabilities. Um, you know, Google has got Google Wallet, which they're investing a lot of money into. So Google Wallet's like a sort of platform that would be loaded onto your NFC and then your different providers like your Subway, um, Domino's, Hellpizza, those sort of places could then load their own sort of applications on. So you could have a credit, you can only have your Visa and a MasterCard credit, but you could also have a credit with, say, Subway um, and the other places that you like to um, frequent. And so, we, we've chatted about some vulnerabilities with Google Wallet, I think, in uh, in some of the past episodes. So, yep. um, yeah, there genuinely can be uh, can be issues. Yeah. The um, Two Degrees actually put out a really nice um, video showing, um, so it shows a guy waking up in the morning, he's got his phone and his wallet next to his bed, and he gets up, leaves his wallet at home, and then he goes, gets on the bus with his phone, pays for food, pays for coffees, tops up someone else's snapper card, which I thought was really impressive, held his phone over their snapper and was able to top their um, snapper card up, and, and just shows that he could go the whole day and just use his phone for all those electronic payments. So. And in the future as well, I think we'll be able to do things like check into hotel rooms and download the key and bypass reception and go straight to the hotel yeah. room door and things uh, like that. I don't know if you've, had a, if you've ever used the uh, New Zealand M-Pass um, application, but I used it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and you... So you associate it with your AirPoints card, um, it automatically syncs your flights, and then instead of having to get out a boarding pass, you load up the app, it's got sort of a... Um, it puts a sort a of a barcode on, bar yeah. on the screen, and then you can put your phone under their scanner, can't yeah. you? Yeah, and you scan it, and it prints out the boarding pass right then, and there, and you, you get on. And no, you can actually use it as a as a boarding yes. pass. Yeah. You don't even need actually a printout. They actually, um, they give you a little, they still need to give you a piece of paper so that the um, flight um, attendant, when you get on the plane, can actually direct you to which seat you're on. So they do actually print you out a really little receipt um, just as you're boarding through the gates. Yeah, but you can go all the way yeah, right you can up go, to the boarding gate with, yeah. with no no physical boarding pass, which no. is fantastic. Um, and I tried it. I got to the airport late when I was, I was flying out at something like 7.30 and got to the airport at, at 20 past, and I walked straight from the cab right through the airport right to the boarding, um, to the gates, 
scanned my um, my boarding pass on my phone and then walked straight on. It was absolutely amazing. So I'm really excited about where this technology is going to go. Definitely some good good potential. Uh, no doubt a few things to work through. And, of course, at the moment, it's, it's really just the Android platform um, that can offer this. But it's good to see uh, Google really pushing pushing this stuff forward uh, by offering it. And initially, we've just got this one handset from uh, from Two Degrees that it works with. Uh, Telecom have made an announcement this week as well that they're, uh, they're doing some sort of field trials. Uh, but I think a real pat on the back to uh, to Two Degrees and to Snapper for being right at the forefront and uh, and and pushing this ahead. And it's um, yeah, I mean we had an announcement just a few weeks ago saying that uh, Telecom, Two Degrees, and Vodafone were going to be working together on these uh, uh, NFC-based uh, payment systems, um, and already Two Degrees are uh, are launching. So it's pretty cool. I suppose it's worth pointing out too that you've already got NFC and the new, if you've had a new Visa or MasterCard just recently, and, and the way to see if you've got NFC on your card is it's got like a, looks like a little um, echo or a little aerial going out of the card. So um, it's either PayWave or PayPass, depending on if you're with, if it's Visa or MasterCard. And so um, the new FPOS terminals, you, um, instead of pushing check or savings, you can just hold your card above the terminal, give it a second, and it will beep and say accepted, if you've got obviously money on the card. And it's a really, really fast way to pay. And, and the classic example I would use is if you're at a pub, you're, you know, you've got four or five beers that you're holding, you've just got your card off to the side, you can sort of just you know, lean over, beep, and then away you go. You don't have to stand there and put a pin in. Um, and, with, and hopefully they're billing you the right amount and yeah, all those hope. other bits and pieces are right. They have a limit of $80, um, that's per day. So uh, if someone did take your card, they're not going to be able to rack up any more than $80 without having to put your pin in. So the banks have, have sort of said that, look, we're happy to, to guarantee the cards to this limit, but it's not too low that it's going to be imposing that, you know, it's not like $10 and you do one transaction and you're over. So... Um, it'll be really cool once that's, you know, you don't have a Visa or MasterCard, you just, it's all off your phone. Yeah, very cool. Now, uh, going to more sort of global news, but, you know, relevant here and, and everywhere is that uh, Intel in the in the last um, uh, last couple of weeks really have, uh, have started making available their new uh, CPU chips and new processors for PCs and laptops and the like. Uh, and these new chips are sort of shrunk down uh, in terms of their manufacturing. So they're manufactured um, at a, a 22 nanometer uh, manufacturing process compared to a, a 32 that they did before, and they operate on a 3D. Uh, they're built in a 3D type manner, so it really allows them to shrink them down uh, and also to cut the uh, power consumption. So in terms of what this is going to mean for us, so, you know, I think the big one is probably uh, this is going to help with us getting those sort of smaller uh, laptops. That are that are you know lighter and have better uh, better battery life. Um, Nate, you uh, been been watching what's happening in in this space? Are any uh, new products that you've seen? I noticed that there's uh, uh, a range of vendors are starting to announce new PCs and laptops now. Uh, very few sort of available you know this very minute, but there are there are certainly one or two from. Uh, uh, Dell and others that are available in the market immediately. So yeah, the the CPU, um, we're very acronym heavy tonight, um, is the central processing unit. So that's really the the brains of your computer. So it's the thing that that takes all the instructions and actually computes them and processes them for you. So um, it really is sort of the the brain of your computer. And I'm really excited about the 50%. Um, I think it was 50% uh, power saving. So with these devices getting 
you know um, quicker and, and and faster and and lighter to batteries are very heavy so manufacturers are having to manufacture these lighter batteries which don't have the sort of capacity that the heavier batteries do so they really have to look at every little um, component in the say laptops or phones or, or tablets and get them as ultra efficient as they can because otherwise with really limited battery life you're going to have a device that would have a runtime of say 15 minutes so um, this is a really exciting development, I think, for all devices. You'll be amazed at, at what Intel's got um, CPUs in, in everything. So it's, but it's really technical stuff. Um, if you've ever seen any of the YouTube videos, they're in, you know, surgically um, clean areas. You know, they're all in because they're working with such little things, and any little specks of dust or, or anything like that will actually completely throw off the whole manufacturing process. So it's not something you can just sit down and make your own CPU. There's a lot of development. There's a lot of man hours. So really cool stuff coming out of Intel, and it should be exciting to see what other um, manufacturers can, like Apple and, and Samsung, can can do now that they've got that Intel's got this really cool CPU coming out. Well, I think it, uh, it you know, it's going to help a couple of things with these, uh, you know, thin and light uh, types of. Uh, uh, laptops that we've seen through from you know a, ra- a range of uh, vendors, um, you know it's going to allow those to sort of get even thinner and even lighter, and it also really paves the way for uh, tablet computers that are really powerful. So we think of the iPad today, you know that's sort of the main tablet, and there are the Android tablets as well. Um, but Windows 8 with these new Intel chips brings that uh, that possibility that you could have a, a laptop that's uh, you know, not too far off a, an iPad in terms of size and weight, uh, but actually can run all of the normal applications that you might run today. And whether that's just standard Microsoft Office things or whether that's video or audio editing, you could do all of those things on a tablet that you can then dock in and have a full keyboard and, and so on with. So th- there's some um, there's some interesting opportunities that I think will open up uh, in, you know, throughout this year with these uh, with these new processing units. Righty-ho. Now, uh, our next story is all about cloud storage. Now, uh, again, this is something that's been uh, bubbling around over the last uh, probably uh, two to three weeks. There have been a number of uh, product announcements and product releases uh, in the area of cloud storage. Now, to break that down and make it make it simple, I guess uh, you know the way we've traditionally saved files is onto our onto our local computer, onto its hard disk. Once upon a time, it was you know floppy disks, uh, and some years before that, onto uh, you know tape type media. Uh, but in terms of you know your, your normal files, you store those on your local hard disk or on your USB. Uh, cloud storage is all about storing files on the internet. And what we've uh, what we've had for for quite some time is Dropbox being the most popular uh, you know product for uh, for storing files online or or in the cloud as they call it. Uh, but we've had recent announcements from Microsoft with their SkyDrive cloud storage, uh, and that seems to be competing quite strongly and available really across your Mac, PC, um, uh, and your various smartphone platforms. Uh, and the other bit of news uh, in that space has been Google that are coming that have uh, come in with their offering with uh, Google Drive. Nate, what what have you uh, what have you seen? You've tried out a few of these. I have. Um, I don't know if, if Google's change. I haven't actually kept up with uh, their announcement, but I know when Google sort of first brought theirs to market, they were, which was only sort of a week or two ago, they were talking about their um, terms and conditions, which pretty much said something along the lines of, if you put it in our cloud it's now ours and we can do pretty much what we want 
when we want. And yeah, there's been a lot of controversy around that, hasn't there? Yeah, you know, that's a big issue. If you've got private files there, let's say a client list or um, a supplier list with quite sensitive pricing, having that exposed to your competitors is a big, big issue. So, um, and, it, and it probably isn't going to happen, is it? But it's just, you probably can't use these, I mean, any of these sort of consumer services for business and be absolutely sure that it's going to be safe, can you? No, no, you can't. We we use uh, Dropbox quite heavily with um, a couple of Australian clients we've got, especially when sending them software. Um, as we develop, we don't then have to sort of zip it and email it because we're using Google-hosted apps and, and it's got this really fantastic um, limitation that you can't email EXEs, which all our programs are, and they're not viruses, I promise. Um, so we have to use a, a thing like Dropbox. But if you use, you know, if you've got a computer at work, a computer at home, you've got your tablet or your phone, you can install um, one of these services, for example, Dropbox on all those, and you've got an important file, drop it into that um, Dropbox folder, and then it will just sync um, as you head home, and then you can bring up that file at home. And with the uh, increase in caps that we talked about last week, it's going to be more, or it's going to be easier to store bigger files on these services because you're not going to get pinged with excess usage charges. You know, we looked at the telecom um, total home that went from 10 gig to 30 gig. Yeah, so, certainly all our internet packages seem to be, you know, bumping up, you know, reasonably quickly in terms of just how much data you get, don't they? Yeah. What about the um, the security aspects of it in terms of, you know, you've you've got all your files. Um, sort of stored in this way do you need to do backups of everything as well is there any risk of you losing that material or i think you would and you know the number of people that do backups would be very few even though you know best practice is to have backups off-site mm. not next to your computer um it's pretty laborious and people don't bother yeah but it's it's not until they lose all their files or they get robbed or there's a natural disaster you know look at all the crush the Christchurch earthquake is a classic example of people that didn't have off-site backups um, they had the earthquake, they shut down the red zone and, you know, they're stuffed because they can't get actual physical access to their computers, their servers, so they've got no way to keep um, up and going. So Yeah, I think there are a lot of businesses just stopped. You know, yeah. when it happened when they couldn't get at their equipment, they didn't have any off-site, they had no other option. And I guess even with these cloud services, you know, we look at megaupload.com, you know, people had, you know, may have had genuine sort of, um, you know, content stored, stored in that, like any of these other uh, services. Um, there, there, there goes your uh, off-site data. I, so I wouldn't see Dropbox or one of these online cloud storage providers as your only backup um, option, but I would throw it into the mix. So um, classic one we tell clients is if you've got another company that you know, you're know you friendly with, get them to do backups, you guys do backups, and then once a month you just swap. There's also other services such as Plan B where they actually have, they're like security, like your Chubb security guards, they'll actually turn up with um, like identification and they'll take your backups, store them, and give you you know your other tapes. So you can also use a service like that. But yeah, I think using the clouds is fantastic, but I wouldn't have it as your only solution. Yep. No, uh, that, that's that's good advice, and and it is worth bearing in mind. You know, these are consumer-oriented services; they don't tie back to, you know, sort of business security systems and, you know, Active Directory type uh, mechanisms that that businesses, uh, you know, tend to use to keep uh, security and and so on wrapped around their uh, their content. But there are some, you know, some business-oriented offerings. 
um, such as uh, Office 365 with its you know SkyDrive type capability, um, with its SharePoint type capability. So yeah, there's there's uh, there's certainly a lot happening in this space, and and it's good to see those announcements come through. Now for those that are interested, sort of wanting to wondering which of these to try out. Um, you've got uh, two gigs worth of free storage with uh, with Dropbox as the standard amount that you get. Uh, Google are giving away five gigs at the moment, and Microsoft are giving away seven gigs. Now, if you have used Microsoft SkyDrive service in the past, uh, if you're quick, you can go and log in, uh, log in to the SkyDrive service and get that bumped up for free to 25 gigs which is quite nice. Um, and there are also some tricks online for how to get um, the other services bumped up. For instance, Dropbox, you invite others in, then you get some bonus storage uh, and the like. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's worth uh, picking one of those and, and having a try if you're uh, you're looking to uh, try out the cloud. Now, um, next story, we, uh, we came across recently a product called The Bridge. Now... So cool. Mm, I want one. I don't even have an iPad. I've got <laughs> the uh, Galaxy Tab 10.1. Um, tempted to swap across to this. It's so. so what it's, is it? It's what? a Bluetooth keyboard um, in its most simplest form. If you've got, if you take a tablet away, the idea is it's very portable. It's very small. But if you're wanting to go back to the hotel later at night and and, and um, do some emails. It's not really ideal. The touch um, interface works well, but if you're a, a quick typist, it's going to become fr- frustrating very quickly. So, for example, the, the Galaxy Tab has a, a Bluetooth keyboard um, case, so you can unfold it like a, a sort of a mini laptop, like the uh, the HP Mini PC. Um, so this thing actually, this um, Bridge Bluetooth keyboard makes it look like a, um, a MacBook. It's uh, on, their, on their site... So it's the site's the bridge, um, and bridge about B-R-Y-D-G-E.com. Um, they've got a comparison between a, a MacBook and a, um iPad with this uh, keyboard attached, and they look alarmingly like each yeah, other. Yeah, it looks very similar to the to the, to the the MacBook Air, doesn't it? And it's pretty sturdy as well, and I think it's made out of something like, um, it is made out of aluminum, you know, aerospace, Yeah, it, it looks exactly like... It, it looks, looks exactly gosh. like that, the, uh, the 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 MacBook, and on the video you can actually see, and I think it's they've got the the hinge is pending, and it's incredible they um, sort of wave the um, the whole unit together by the keyboard, which I don't know if I'd be too keen on doing, but the iPad you no know, doesn't slip out, it's, it sits there um, happily, and it's really easy to use. You just turn on Bluetooth on the iPad, um, set up the sync as um, standard with Bluetooth, and you really are away. So. If you're travelling um, and you don't want or you don't need a laptop, it, this really is the best of both worlds. You can take your iPad out and just use your iPad as a you know a device to check notes or whatever. Um, but then when you need to sit down and do some emailing or typing up some documents, plug in the keyboard and away you go. Yeah, the th- I think one of the things to remember is that it doesn't turn your iPad into a MacBook no. or a MacBook Air, and you know. One of those things that you know we're we're used to with our laptops is we can use the trackpad or you know we can use a mouse with it and so on. And this is just a you know just a keyboard. There is no trackpad, and so you you know you've still got all the you know usual touchscreen interface that you're used to, but it speeds up and makes it really really nice if you do want to you know uh, you know 
use a keyboard for whatever you want to uh, produce. And it's a decent full-size keyboard as well. It's it's not... Um, this is a Kickstarter project, isn't it? It's not on the market as such. They're still looking for funding. That's right. So it's on kickstarter.com, um, and for those who haven't checked out kickstarter.com, it's really worth a look. Uh, it's it's a it's a great concept, and it's all about helping uh, startups get underway. And uh, what you do. So in the case of the bridge, the uh, the what they're looking for is they're looking for people to fund them, launch this business by actually paying for their first round of of products. And so there are a range of variations of the keyboard. You can get the keyboard on its own. You can get it with built-in speakers. You can buy a, you know a whole lot of them. Uh, and they set a target goal of $90,000 that they needed to sort of uh, um, sell or get funded to be able to then, um, uh, you know, send out these products to people. And they've already blown that out of the water. They're well over $400,000 US dollars with nearly 2,000 backers. Uh, but if you if you look through the details, what you'll see is if you if you make a pledge to them. Um, and let's say you make a $170 uh, pledge, then they will send you the bridge. Uh, you've got to pay a bit more for uh, for shipping, so it ends up over $200 uh, US if you want to get that shipped to uh, to New Zealand. Um, but it's going to be, they estimate the delivery will be October 2012. And of course, you know, there this is not an existing company, so there's no guarantee that you'll actually get a product or that the product you get will actually be any good because, you know, they may, you know, this is their first sort of production run, right? So it may be that the first round is actually pretty rubbish. So it's 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 kind of fun. There's a fair level of risk associated, isn't there? There is, but if you want to be right in there at the beginning, right at the cutting edge, nobody yep. else has. Then Absolutely, that's a good idea. I, I, think- I, I I was I was I was I must admit I was actually tempted by this one. I thought that's this looks really really cool, but. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm not quite across the line. Well, I like the fact Apple's been a bit sort of snarky about it as well. They, you know, they're saying that they're never going to come out with a hybrid of the MacBook and um, and the iPad. You know, why should they? That they're completely separate items. Right, because you know, with uh, with Windows this year, we're going to see uh, laptops that are that are that are touchscreen-based laptops, right? So they're they're doing that hybrid. So. Yeah, Apple are, um, are are really making fun of that, aren't they? Mm. Um, and Kickstarter was the service that came to light, was it earlier this year or the end of last year, with um, the Boy movie that was all the rage here? Where yeah, that was just I think in the last month or two actually there was um, um, you know funding for getting uh, getting Boy released and marketed in the US. So just looking at a, a screenshot of the press release that they had, um, Kickstarter helped them raise or sorry get pledges of uh, ninety one thousand. That was fifteen hundred people all came together. It's what a fantastic service to to spread risk, I suppose. I think you have to be a little bit careful with it, though, because I saw an article earlier this week about Kickstarter, and there were some games, there was some company on there that was was pretending they'd come out with, or they were creating this amazing game, and they were looking for, for pledges, and they were getting people giving them money, or, or pledging. Um, and then it transpired that actually... They weren't a real company, and they'd sort of pulled together all these different games. They just made some, made some stuff yeah, up to get to get some money because mm. there's no real way of can. Well, I don't. I haven't actually looked into how how Kickstarter controls that in terms of handing over the funds and so on. Well, but I think they are pledges as such, aren't they? So until you know the target is reached and it's and it's proved, then. 
but when you get Thank to when you say. get to that point mm. and the money you know the money gets gets handed over mm. um yeah there there's i think there's plenty of potential for risk but um yeah i mean a lot of people are using this successfully to uh, to launch new businesses and and you know at the moment i think people aren't too uh, aren't too scared about jumping in and supporting them and in a lot of cases it's not a whole lot of money there's a lot of the products are, are really sharp prices and it's kind of a a version you know 1 or 0.1 of of these products and the people that actually buy the you know the next iteration of the products could be paying a, a fair chunk more so yeah it's, it doesn't seem to be a bad uh, a bad deal in most cases i think it really is a buyer beware um there's that thing in the news this week about um the the iwi that had a big settlement i think it was 14 or 15 million and then they invested i think it was in an australian um software company and ended up losing the whole lot so you know it, it, you can't, we, we, last week we talked about the Facebook IPO, you really just can't take software and, and think, oh yeah, this is going to be amazing, we'll throw all our money in and, and be away. You know, any IT products, you really have to do your research, make sure that there is a market there that you are going to be better than competitors. So don't just assume that because it's shiny and, and has the, the word IT in it that it's going to be a success. Yeah, good point. Now, next up, uh, there's been a product announcement by uh, Netgear in the last few days about a new wireless router. And the thing that's interesting about this is it, it uses a uh, a new version of the wireless network working protocols. And we've got all of these different letters, um, you know, the, the, the um, A, B, G, N uh, networking or um, 802.11. Uh, N being the sort of the fastest wireless network that we've had around for some time. Um, there's a, this new iteration. There's actually two new uh, wireless variations coming, um, but this new Netgear uh, router that's been announced, which is the R6300, um, will deliver uh, potentially um, three to five times the performance of our current uh, wireless networking sort of speeds. And then there's a new another standard that's being worked on concurrently um, that's going to work in a different uh, frequency range that will um, go right up to potentially 7 megabits in terms of networking performance, which is actually faster than what we get on most wired network connections today. So um, very early days. We've just had the announcement in the last few days. We haven't had uh, any product yet to uh, to test out. Um, here, but we are we are awaiting uh, some product from Netgear that we will uh, we will try out at uh, at some stage, and uh, we'll report back on the podcast and um, and let listeners know just how good this new wireless is. Um, I guess one of the concerns is as you wind up the performance on wireless, you potentially wind down um, your coverage area, and that's already an issue in a lot of people's homes. Is trying to get a wireless signal actually right across their uh, their whole house. And you know certainly um, where where I've lived, uh, where I in fact where I was living sort of six months ago, you know we had to have a number of wireless access points in the house just to you know cover upstairs, downstairs, and uh, and various parts. So with these newer, faster networks, you may need more and more of these wireless access points to get uh, good coverage around the place. I'm still a big fan of having you know wired connections, especially if you're running long distances. It always works. You don't have, or hopefully you don't have any interference. Um, in my mind, wireless is better if you're, say, um, in a, in, like in your lounge, you don't want to have to have a cable running across your floor to, to get the wireless on, so your laptop, your phone, and your tablet. Um, I, I'm going to be keen to see how far AC can go. Um, it, 
when you were running say 802.11g networks and you're finding that you weren't getting enough range you would always um, wind it down to 802.11b which was slower but would have um, far better range and if you're only using it to browse the internet your connection speed isn't going to be fast enough to max it out anyway um, this new AC standard should be fantastic especially if you're watching um, HD video or wanting to transfer big files because at the moment uh, the quickest way to transfer big files between say a couple of laptops next to each other is to actually plug in an ethernet cable and, and do it that way because you'll be waiting forever especially on um, 802.11g yeah absolutely absolutely um, now I thought it would be good if we have a bit of a um, a bit of a chat since you're in the in the studio Emma um, just around what's been happening in the in the broadcasting and and TV space in terms of you know how's technology changed your job over the last few years oh it's changing all the time i mean it, it's really difficult to keep up with the pace of things sometimes i mean i remember and this is going back probably a good 15 years or so giving away my age here but starting when we when we used to film well starting in radio and using reel-to-reel tapes and splicing them together with um razor blades and uh, you know little bits of yellow sticky tape and i've still got the scars on my fingers to prove it <laughs> and then moving into um into TV and, and using the sort of two-inch tapes and everything was heavy, you know, the tapes were really heavy like a sort of lightweight monitor nowadays and the equipment that you'd play it in would be really heavy, everything, camera. Nowadays, it's a completely different story. You film on a P2 card, yes, you've got expensive equipment, but if it breaks down and you desperately need a quick fix, you can go into, you know, maybe not Dick Smith, but you can go into a store somewhere and, and buy the 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 components for it quite easily and mm. be up and running and there's just so much that that you can do and I know one of the things that um, you know it won't be too far before we can actually um, feed live from a scene in the sense that the cameraman just goes out with a with a backpack that's got you know four or five phones in it that are that are all 3g and sends back the pictures and it splits into different parts and then at the other end we piece it all together and it goes out live which mm. would be mm. Because you know, I suppose at the to. moment, if there is a live cross, there is which we don't get to see. There is actually a van with some sort of satellite dish or wireless equipment in the background, which then and there's a cable that's run out to the camera. So it's doing a live cross isn't sort of rock up and away you go. There is actually a bit of setup and a bit of process. There so. is. I mean, over in New Zealand or well, TV3 at least, we do it three different ways. We have the small mini dish, which um, a cameraman can carry in his car, and and you pop that up, and when we get the signal from the from the sky tower, and away we go. Um, if it's a bigger story and it's somewhere where we can't get a sort of short-range signal, then yes, we'd have a big satellite truck or, or a digi truck doing it. Um, but we're not far away, really, from just being able to go to the to the scene of anywhere and, and beam it back. And of course, you've got um, you know you've got the satellite packs now as well. So that's when you when you do see people in the in the middle of nowhere doing these interviews from the desert. But even even things like Skype is changing the way we broadcast. We can do an interview now with a you know, sailor on the yacht in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of his journey, and he's live because we can we can Skype the interview. So, how are you finding uh, things like social um, media affect uh, the reporting and how inf- information is collected and collated? It is very useful uh, from our point of view. We use, as news journalists, Twitter as um, an information tool. Um, we're constantly looking at tweets and, and looking at the different feeds and and it's a good way of, of sort of keeping on top of what's happening around the world. I think we have to be a little bit careful sometimes. You can't take everything that you see on, on, on things like Twitter as gospel. And But it is good and it's good that 
you can get that kind of information and also the fact that you know lots of people nowadays um they'll go out and they'll go to this there'll be a t- tornado and they'll film the tornado and they'll send it to us and they'll send it to us straight away and we can have it on air almost immediately or we can put it on our website straight away so people are, are loving the fact that you know everybody can be a journalist but we have still got to monitor what we what we put on air hmm. I, I think that that tornado one was fantastic because um, I remember when it struck, we saw when I was watching the Twitter feed, just massive amounts of images and video coming through. And even, um, and I, I don't use an iPhone, but I think there's a, a panoramic um, feature where you can actually stitch Im- images together. And someone had taken that, so you could actually pan pretty much 360 and, and see the whole scene. It was really is a, a great way to be there, even though you're not. And I think to you that can get to you so much quicker than possibly the mainstream media can um but then you know not everyone uses twitter not everyone uses um social media tools so it's a good i think the news still has its place where people who aren't as connected can still sit down at six o'clock relax and actually and 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 see what's happened in the world today yeah i think and and it's interesting to see the way that the all of these mediums sort of come together and so there might be a few things on on twitter if you're following the right people and so on that you see but then you can switch on the news and sort of have have it all brought together into you know, into a nice package, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I'm still someone that you know goes home and watches the news. Although I'm, you know, um, I know the TV3 ad people won't be pleased to hear this, but I've, you know, skipping past all the ads. And I think, uh, but I appreciate the free, uh, the free content and uh, and so on. And, and I also think people like, um, with tr- you know, with the traditional format of say, for example, the six o'clock news. Some people will say, oh, you know, well, we don't need a, uh, you know, a full news bulletin anymore. If we want our news, we can we can just look online and we can read everything we want to, you know, find out about in a couple of minutes. But actually, the nice thing about television is it's it's a comfort zone, isn't it? You can just like it's nice to sometimes sit at the table and eat your meal properly. You want to be able to sit down and relax in front of the television, and if you know, you you want to be able to watch a news program, or you want to be able to be. Well, there are different ways of consuming content, aren't there? And mm. I, I guess that that's why um, you know podcasts are becoming more and more popular. Yeah, the information that's uh, you know even in in um, in our podcast, there are certain elements of that that you can go and you can find in various online news sources. Uh, but the opinions aren't, and the you know the extra bits and pieces that that we add to it, uh, and it's not you know, collated up into this sort of nice package. So I guess, you know, there's there's something extra that you, you bring by producing something in a video or or an audio format over and above those um those sort of online, you know, read read type formats. I was having a joke the other day with, with one of our technical directors saying, you know, do you think um do you think we're gonna to get to the stage where avatars are, are reading the news? Because um, you know you had that amazing hologram didn't, at Coachella. Right. I said, yeah. Oh, you know, I can just see there being a hologram reading the the news or similar. And he said, No, I don't think it's going to quite get to that. But we are going to get to the stage where you're you're probably not going to have um, you know, presenters and reporters in a newsroom. You're you're going to have more virtual sets. You're going to be able to do things from a very small space, and it it is all going to be, you know done easily and quickly mm. well i guess i mean we're seeing more and more businesses that are sort of spread up and you you know call centers where someone's part of a call center but they're actually just sitting in their own and you know in their own home office or or at home so you know could that happen with tv as well where you know 
it's oops it's uh, it's five to six I'd better get up I've got to be in front of the uh, uh, Skype camera or my you know whatever my whatever it is <laughs> to present the uh, news in five minutes and uh, you know come uh, come six o'clock you've got your uh, your, your news readers sort of uh, dashing from the uh, dinner table uh, across to their uh, their their makeshift uh, newsroom do you think that could be a possibility oh you never know and it's scary <laughs> how much things have changed in the control room as well because I mean, even just a couple of years ago at TV3, we had, say, eight or nine people in the control room operating the equipment. Now we've got fancy systems where it does everything. It, it does the graphics, it mixes the the shows, it, it puts the keys on, and it's taken the number of people in the control room down to about four. Computers are doing everything nowadays. It's scary. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, um, big change, isn't it? Now... Um, other big news today, actually, uh, Samsung announced a new telephone. New S3. So we've, we've the had the Samsung S- Galaxy S3. We've had the S1, we've had the S2, and now we've got the S3. Um, some nice stuff on it. Uh, it is 20, 22, sorry, well, about 20% larger than the S2. Um, it, it has got the super, um, is it AMO LED uh, screen? Which AMOLED. Is AMOLED. Is ridiculously bright, um, but I also find a, a ridiculous <laughs> drain on battery. But I suppose everything's got um, its rights. It's also got some um, other interesting features, such as um, if you're text messaging someone and you think, ah, oh, this text message is taking me too long, I'd rather call them. You can just grab the phone, pick up the phone, and hold it to your ear, and it will automatically dial that particular contact. May seem like a bit of a, a throwaway feature, but I think it's quite a nice feature. Yeah, I'd- there are a few cool things like that that they've done where just it's it's just a really intuitive way of operating, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they've, they've got a, and I don't know what the feature's called, but uh, it tracks, somehow tracks your, your eyes. And so let's say if you're looking at your phone, um, the display won't turn off, so it, it won't dim, so it knows that um, you're looking at it. Yeah, you get that annoying thing where your phone, you're, you're reading a, you know, say a news story or a long email on your phone and, and, and the screen just, you know, goes to sleep. So, yeah, it solves that issue, doesn't it? They also have come up, uh, against um, Siri, so that's Apple's uh, pretty much virtual assistant. So you can say to Siri to to do particular things, and it will do it completely, do it hands free. Um, so Samsung's got a pretty much a Siri equivalent, which will allow you to to um, control the phone, like turn up the volume or, or or send messages and that sort of thing. In my opinion, I really like the look of the device. Whether there's a change that, that's big enough from the S2 to, to warrant going to the S3. Well, it's a much bigger screen, isn't it? 4.8-inch yeah. screen. So I think if you're if you're comfortable with a big device, that's going to be a, a big thing is having that lovely large screen. I think that's something going to push people forward. Hmm. Um, it's also got the uh, new version of Android just comes straight with uh, Android 4 ice cream sandwich. Ice cream sandwich, yep. Uh, so that's nice. Very fast. Now, the camera is an area that stood out to me in terms of specifications. You know, we're used to digital SLRs and things that can shoot X number of shots a second and so on. Um, but we're now starting to see that. And this isn't the first one, but um, we are starting to see that come through in uh, in cameras on smartphones. And uh, Samsung announced that the camera on the Galaxy S3 will be able to do 3.3 shots a second. And there's a burst mode that can do 20 shots in a row at that sort of speed. Uh, which opens up some interesting opportunities, and and they've got a f- they've they've used this to create a new feature called best photo, and you uh, you take your shot, and then it's des- it's supposed to be smart enough to work out because it takes extra shots around it with the uh, you know by by using that um, that burst mode, 
it's supposed to figure out which is the best one. Now, uh, when they did this on the, uh, the the at the launch event in London this morning, the picture that it that it picked as the best one looked really bad. The lady <laughs> had a head on an angle, and it was you know that was the first shot you thought, okay, it's going to ditch that one, and it came up and said, yes, this is your best shot. Uh, so wherever we have these sort of artificial intelligence type things coming in um yeah then they're not always as as good as they're uh, as they're cracked up to be by the uh, the vendors but it's quite nice to have features like that because they are you know they're they're simple features but they're the kind of things you would want to use i mean i'm terrible at taking photos on a phone but if I knew that, you know, I could take a photo and it would take eight of them and it would choose the best one, oh, I quite like that. Yeah, well, I think I like the fact that it would take eight, but I would probably go through and, and, and pick the best one myself. But, uh, you know, it's nice to have the option there, right? And I'm sure these things will uh, will will get better. What do you think of uh, screen size? Because you've got I've got a 4.7 inch screen on the the uh, HTC Titan that I bought back from the US earlier in the year. Which is running Windows. That's a Windows phone device. device. Yeah. Uh, but I've got really used to having the larger screen, and I and I actually really enjoy it. Mm. Uh, and in fact, that's the reason why I didn't um, move across to. Um, the Nokia Lumia 800, because although it's a, it's a really stunning phone, I'm just I'm so used to a bigger screen um, that I've decided to stay with it. But I'm I'm actually really keen to have a hands-on with the uh, uh, the Galaxy S3. So I'm um, I'm hopeful that um, that the NZ Tech podcast will be right at the top of um, Samsung's queue for uh, for these phones when they eventually uh, find their way into the country. Now, the good news is that we heard today, um, and this is actually contrary to the announcements uh, in London, uh, because the product, the, uh, the Galaxy S3 launches in London on the 29th of May, and they said that was just a sort of a UK-Europe launch, and then, you know, it would trickle down to you know, Asia and, uh, you know, other parts of the world. But uh, Vodafone have said today they will, uh, they'll have this available um, this month. So mm. um, probably similar to, you know, well, pretty much the same time as in uh, UK Europe, which is great. And you can get that, can you get that in the 1632 and uh, 64 or something? I think initially, uh, and we don't know exactly what's coming to, I don't think I've seen exactly what's coming to New Zealand. Uh, there's going to, well, there's going to be a 16 and a 32 uh, gig and I think a 64 Maybe coming later. Plus, you'll be able to add storage to it as well with the with the micro SD. So, uh, yeah, plenty of plenty of um, storage capacity and and options there. What we I don't think we know is is pricing yet, unless anyone's seen that. Um, but you know we'll have that soon, no doubt. And um, I have put a story up on um, on my Tech Jungle blog. So if you want to read a little bit more about the specs, uh, jump across to techjungle.com. Uh, and you can get to that via Geek Zone as well to um, to look up those details. And I'll update that once we've got some uh, some local New Zealand uh, pricing confirmed. Uh, it is coming out in two colours, blue and white. Samsung have given them some um, some fancy names, but I'm just going to call them blue and white. It's a very nice looking phone. I know they've made a big deal about it being yeah. curvy and like a pebble and yes. all the environmental tags that they could possibly give it but it, it's just a nice looking phone. Well they have actually taken a nice take with that in terms of you know the, those sort of natural uh, you know inspired by nature type features and, and they've carried that through in terms of the alarms and the ringtones and you know the user experience with the water on the screen that if you touch it it you know, uh, uh, so you know, you get the waves and so on. So yeah, that's kind of cool. 
kind of cool. Um, but we'll we'll wait and see, and we'll we will we will give our uh, our hands-on opinion once that happens. But certainly, what we're seeing so far um, suggests this is going to be another uh, another really big product release for uh, for Samsung. I think they sold 20 million of the uh, Galaxy S2. And the way smartphone sales are going, I wouldn't be surprised if this sells, uh, you know, double that number. So, because wasn't isn't the S2 the largest selling Android phone? So if you were going to come up with an iPhone um, competitor, the SGS2 was the one that would do it. Yep. So this is a, I mean, this marks a really strong competitor to the iPhone, and it's got you know things like the um, the near field communications as well as the great big screen, plenty of storage options. And if anything, this is going to really put extra pressure on Apple to look at releasing, you know, a handset with a larger size screen because the 3.5-inch screen of the iPhone now is starting to look, you know, fairly minuscule, really. Um, although, you know, a lot of people use it, and if that's what you use, then it doesn't bother you. The only problem is once you've gone to a bigger screen, as i found, it's much harder to go back to that little screen again. So, yeah. All right. Uh, now that uh, that just about brings us to uh, to an end this week. Um, I think that's 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 really us. So hey, thanks everyone for listening in. We do appreciate um, everyone's patience because uh, this episode has come to um, you know available for download uh, somewhat later than usual. Uh, but we will be back again, uh, hopefully on our usual time frame uh, next week. Now, if you'd like to find us online, you can find NZ Tech Podcast online at nztechpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash nztechpodcast, and on Twitter, we are NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, now, Nate, what's your uh, what's your handle? How do we find you on Twitter and online? So really basic, it's just uh, at Nate, um, and then my blog is just blog.3bit, which is the number 3bit.com, or on GeekZone. Excellent. Mine's just nice and easy. It's my name, Emma Branham. Or you can catch me on the first line. Excellent. Well, we'll be uh, we'll be looking out for that. So your now your uh, your tech segment on first line that's Thursday mornings. That runs every Thursday morning. And what time? How how early? It runs three times during the morning. Oh, that's so convenient. Any time you can get up at six o'clock and watch it, or you can wait until you know ten to eight, and you'll probably see it. So. Okay. Okay. That's good. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. Is just my name, Paul Spain. Uh, and uh, a couple of blogs there, the Tech Jungle one and PaulSpain.com. So, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening in. We will catch you next week right here on the NZ Tech Podcast.